Welcome. Hey, boo. 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 Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, boo. Hey, hey. boo. Hey. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. Hello. That's Corinne, and I'm Sabrina, and this episode is so many things. It is Corinne's regular birthday episode. <laughs> At this point, my birthday feels, by the time this comes out, it'll feel so long ago. Well, it is also our anniversary episode. Oh! And <laughs> my wedding, wedding episode. Wow, so many things, so many life events. And then right after your wedding, it's your birthday episodes. So I know. August is our month. It is our month. Everything happens in August. It does. We thrive in August. We really do. I have a tiny, tiny ghost story that my dad told me literally 30 minutes ago. He called me and he couldn't remember what he was going to tell me. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm recording tonight. And he's like, the podcast. Yes, that's why I called you. (laughs) (laughs) He called me 30 minutes ago. So I've done no research into this place, but I hope to in the future. Anyway, one of his friends, he was catching up with him on the phone right before he called me on his drive back from work. And his friend was saying that he had just gone down to Stockbridge, Massachusetts this past weekend and he was just talking about like his little vacation that he and his wife went on and then he was like yeah it's really interesting and by the way this guy is like it's not that he doesn't believe in ghosts he just the way my dad described it was he just doesn't think about them it's not top of mind yeah. like for you and uh-huh. i the thought is not am i going to see a ghost here <laughs> right of course not that's not it's, a normal yes. thought and so he and his wife check in in stockbridge massachusetts to the red lion inn Ooh. And immediately realize it's haunted. <gasps> immediately? Immediately. Because they are hearing noises all over the place. Things are moving about. Doors are opening and closing. And when his wife was blow drying her hair in the bathroom, the door slammed shut. And so I think they oh. asked some hotel staff and realized that, yes, it was indeed haunted. And the fourth floor is apparently where the most haunted happenings occur. And that is oh. where they were staying. The fourth floor. So now I'm like, I need to do a whole episode on this place. Go visit it. I know. I asked my dad. I was like, do you know how far away it is from me? And he's like, not too far. I don't know if it's a day trip, but it could be an overnight trip. I would love to record an episode from haunted locations. That would be really fun. Wait, we did that. Remember when I, well, you weren't in a haunted location, but when I accidentally stayed in Chicago. That's true. <laughs> but it, but we have to be there together or yes. we both have to be in haunted locations because then it's like. That would be really fun. We're both on edge. It's funny. I was thinking about what if like, because we went through that one time when we had to re-record an episode like 10 times mm-hmm. because it just kept like the audio files were being lost or ruined and I stuff. I had to call in sick to work so that we I could know. keep trying all day long. So I was thinking, I was like, what if we had to do that again? Which, knock on wood, let's hope this episode saves. But I was thinking about that and I was like, what if I had to like wake up at 3 a.m. and have to record with Corinne when it's like 6 a.m. her time <laughs> and that's the only time we can make it work? And I was like, I think I'd be down for it, but I also think it would make for the spookiest recording we've ever done just because being We'd be up, so jumpy. Oh, so jumpy. I'd be horrified. I couldn't do it. But it'd be kind of fun. It's like a slumber party. It is. You know what I would really like to do if we did it from a cemetery one time? Ooh. Like the setting would be spooky for people who are picturing us there. But I think for you and I, it would be really – I mean, birds would be chirping. Chipmunks would be running yeah. by us. It'd be really nice. What if we got a bunch of EVPs though? Oh, <laughs> we go to the recording and it's actually someone else, just an entire <laughs> spirit doing their like two act one man play. They just turned around <laughs> our microphone and they're using it for themselves. <laughs> you just hear us like muffled in the background and they're like, hello, welcome to tonight's entertainment. Wow. 
Oh my gosh. That would be hysterical. Let's do that. I mean, I'm down. It's just when we can eventually re-enter the world. That's true. It's going a little bit backwards in my state yeah. at the moment. Everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, man. On a completely different note, I went to the dentist today and I was there for like four hours. Yeah, why? Because I haven't been in a really long time and I was getting fitted for my night guard. They had to put one of those things in my mouth that pulls it <laughs> wide open so that they can make the molds. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like, and I feel like everyone says this about the dentist, but of course, like, my dentist is trying to have a conversation with me. Yeah. And I, I'm like, oh. And they're the best interpreters ever. They know what you're saying. I know, but it's like so hard to talk. And then you're like saliva coming out of your mouth yeah. and then they're like sucking it. And then your tongue is like super dry. And you're like, <laughs> my tongue still has not recovered. Do you have the problem where when they fit you for a mouth guard, the putty like pushes back and then you feel like you're choking and you can't breathe? I did not feel like that today, which is oh, that's good. Great. The couple times I've had to do it, my eyes would water and I seriously was convinced that I was going to die right there. And they're like, calm down, put your tongue down and just breathe through your nose. Yeah, it's the panic. I don't know if this has happened in recent days, but there are people who've like choked on their own tongues, right? I mean, I don't know if it happens in real life, but it totally happened in Hannibal Lecter. Okay, so it In happened. Silence of the Lambs. I feel like you could panic so much that you like, I don't know, swallow your own tongue. I think about it sometimes. That's one of my intrusive fears, actually. Yeah. It's when I'm by heights, I'm like, what if I just lost control and jumped? Like my mind just lost control. Oh, and then I think I also that all the time. think about that tongue swallowing. I also thought about that yesterday. I was driving home from Santa Barbara because I had to do my hair and makeup trial. So I drove to Santa Barbara and back. In the same day. Jeez. And I was driving back on the 101. It's like beautiful, overlooking the ocean. I was just going to say that seems really peaceful, like really in your thoughts. Just, ugh. Well, not the thoughts that I was having because oh. my <laughs> thoughts were like, wow, it's so beautiful. What if I just drove my car over and like sailed into the ocean? And then I was like, <laughs> one, that's not going to happen. I'll probably land on like some beach and like not have the ending that I would like. And two, like, I feel like movies do crazy car stunts all the time where they fly off of a, you know, a ramp and they land on the four wheels and it just keeps going. I'm like, that's not possible. No. Like, the car would be destroyed. I would be destroyed. I would no longer exist. And I would be a ghost haunting this podcast. Yeah, this is not Fast and the Furious 11. This is real life. This is real life. And you can't do that. And I'm glad you did not succumb to your dark thoughts. I did not succumb. But it is funny that on a beautiful drive like that... That's what, That's what you think of. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people have these dark intrusive thoughts and it's just something oh, that we don't talk about. Yeah. Although maybe some people don't because I think I've told you this before that my mom, my brother and I were talking about it one time and my dad was like, oh, I totally know what you mean. And then he started talking about his and we're like, no, that's not well, what we're we his. Mean. We're his so pure. His were so pure. It was like, sometimes I, I wonder like, wh- what if, what if like a coyote came after you guys and then I would have to like fight them off and protect protect you we're like that's not like an intrusive thought that's just a fear based on where we live and the nervousness protection of of your children protecting your children and your family that's not the darkness that my my (laughs) brother and i were talking about the darkness has not reached him yet it's happier in his head yeah oh my gosh (laughs) so i guess we can blame my mom for the issues i've met people like that who just like have very happy thoughts and i'm like you're an alien Like, where did you come from? Well, my brother and I were talking. We were saying we rarely have – when people talk about dreams, like, we rarely have just dreams. They're usually nightmares. Yeah, same. Or, like, super vivid. Like, what are people's regular dreams? I feel like I've had regular dreams, like, ones where I wake up and I'm like, whoa, that felt so real. Yeah. You've had those, right? So it's not like a nightmare – 
It's not necessarily a crazy dream. It just felt so real that when you wake up, you're a little disoriented. <laughs> I have to tell you, I had a dream a couple nights ago, and it was about your wedding. But you told us at the wedding that it was so fun that you were going to make it in every four-month tradition. <laughs> and every four months. <laughs> so you're going to have three weddings every year for infinity. And that's funny. That's a nightmare. That would, That's a <laughs> real-life living nightmare. I think it's because we've talked so much about this being your third time of you and Nick like having a, a ceremony because you did obviously some smaller COVID, COVID weddings. forced ones. Yeah. So I think the number three was in my mind. So it's like three weddings a year forever. <laughs> yeah. If I don't have to plan any of them, sure. Because getting your friends together and partying is so fun. But planning is not. I don't know. Maybe at the end of your wedding. In a week and a half or whenever, whenever, whenever it is. Okay, I'm going to make myself a video or I'm, this is it. This recording for me, a la Michael Scott. If after the wedding you have any desire to continue this and do it every three months, just know how you feel right now is miserable. So do not do that. <laughs> I'm not miserable. It's just more like I'm so done planning a wedding uh in true spooky fashion misery 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 i would prefer the book misery to planning a wedding oh, no. but i would be kathy bates oh is nick, <laughs> is nick... Is he's nick mr man he's mr man i'm annie wilkes he's mr man oh my goodness <laughs> Oh, man, this is making me want to read Stephen King novels. Here's my one wish. Someone was saying, oh, I think it was an Instagram that went viral. And then people started like repeating it on TikTok. And then those went viral. But people were like, forget hot girl summer. What about practical magic fall? And it makes me wish that we could just take like Europe takes holiday in August, that we could take holiday and fall and we could just do spooky things and read Stephen King novels all day long and that was our practical magic fall I love that do you have a favorite Stephen King novel that I should start with since I haven't actually read any of them you haven't read any of them no the shining is so good but my favorite is the stand but it's like a thousand pages so if you want a more manageable one so it's like three, four books in one? Yeah. If you want a more manageable one to start with, I would say The Shining or Misery. Misery is so good too. Yeah. Maybe I'll do Misery and then I'll do The Stand. I've just seen The Shining movie so many times. Mm. But the book's better. The book is so good. I will read it. I just feel like I want to okay. start with something that like, I've only seen. Have you Misery never the seen The Misery movie? No, I, I, I have, but only oh, once. okay. And it was a long time ago. So it's like not as fresh in my mind. I wish you had it because it would have been so joyous to be a part of this journey where you've read it and watched it for the first time. But alas, that will be just a thought. Well, I'm sure I'm going to rediscover because what happens to me is if I don't read or watch something like again and maybe 15 years have passed, I don't remember anything. <laughs> That's the joy of just repressing memory. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, wonderful. Okay, Corinne, do you want to introduce this topic since you chose it? Sure. And what made you choose it? Well, what made me chose it was that I wanted to cover this one particular spirit. <laughs> and in doing so, I figured I'd create a broad enough topic that you could find something as well. And so Love it. the topic is female spirits, female ghosts. Lady spirits, lady ghosts. Ladies of the darkness. Or the lightness. And... Yes, I just, you know, ghosts, people associate it with being in the dark, even though we know that that's not true. You see plenty in light. In light, yes. In light. So female ghosts, I actually 
really regret choosing what I chose. <laughs> no. Because you know how once in a while we'll research a topic and we'll be overcome with feeling like we shouldn't be talking about it or we shouldn't be researching it? Oh, no. That is no, exactly no. what happened to me. So I chose a spirit that we've talked about many times but never fully covered, and that is La Llorona. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm scared to do this right now. I wish we were recording at 8 a.m. So I had light before me. But it took me three days to research. Usually I sit down and it will take me like two days. I'll break it up. But it took me three days because I could only do a couple hours at a time because I was so nervous. Things were happening around me. There was a lot of noise. I kept seeing something out of the corner of my eye. No. And then my TV, even though it wasn't on, part of it, it was like a corner would like light up and flash. And every time I'd look up, there'd be nothing. And there's nothing that could make that. And then to the side of me, I kept seeing something like... Were you home alone? Yes. Brian has gone all week. He's at a baseball tournament. No. I'm alone tonight too. So I'm shaking <gasps> in my boots. Oh, and I gosh. even woke up early one day to also do more research instead of saving it for after work. Right, I woke after up work. at like 5 a.m. and started researching as soon as the sun rose. It was still all happening. Weird. Well, okay. Just based on what I know about La Llorona, it kind of makes sense and... That spirit is so negative and mm-hmm. like has a lot of energy. Yeah. So if you need me to fall asleep beside you tonight on Zoom, I think it's I'm a real possibility. More than happy to. <laughs> I truly think it is. I literally. Oh yeah. no! I haven't slept in the past two or three days either because I've been so nervous. I redownloaded Calm. Oh no! <laughs> I bought a new subscription. Okay. And yeah, I just haven't slept, so we'll see how this goes, and I'll report back if I get murdered in my sleep tonight. Well, let's fill your space with lots of light and positivity. Thank you. Wrap yourself in your silk blanket, I your know. invisible blanket, yes. and begin. And begin. Okay, <laughs> so I obviously chose La Yorona. And we've mentioned her numerous times, but we've never covered her. And I want to preface this by saying that while I did look at a bunch of different articles and pull little facts and stories from this one or that one, a large chunk of what I'm about to tell you, I learned from legendsofamerica.com from an article written by Kathy Weiser or Weiser. It was just so comprehensive. It was so great. I feel like she brought up so many different points that were also reiterated in other places. And so shout out to her because this was a great resource. All right. La Llorona. She's the spirit people both pity and fear. She's the story parents tell their kids to keep them behaved. And she's the inspiration for a horrifying movie, if you've seen it. Mm -hmm. This is La Llorona. So the legend of La Llorona, it comes from Hispanic culture. La Llorona means weeping woman. And so oftentimes people just call her the weeping woman. And we've heard the stories of ghostly weeping women who search for their children, who search for their loved ones. But this legend, the legend of La Llorona, is not just a regular weeping woman. This is especially heinous. And while the original source of this legend has not yet been identified, we know that the story has been told in the Southwest since the 16th century. 16th century. So this is a long time. Old, old, old legend. Wow. So La Llorona, she's a beautiful woman. She has long, shiny black hair. She wears a white dress. Sometimes people report her in an all black dress with a black veil. Very insidious. 
She wanders through waterways, searching lakes, searching streams, calling out, wailing, screaming, crying for her children. She screams out to them in the nighttime. So it's complete darkness when people are hearing the shrill voice of La Llorona. And she's begging for them. She's desperate for them. She has to find her kids. There are a few tales of how this woman, La Llorona, came to be and who she was in her regular life. There are many, many tales, and there is quite a few that have similar details, but then will change based on origin, location, geographic location. But I'm going to tell you just a couple. So nicknamed Maria, this woman was born into a lower class family in a small village. And though her beginnings were humble, she had one advantage in life. And this was that she was strikingly beautiful. She was tall. She was thin. And she had this long, thick black hair. And so Maria really stood out in her village. And not just to the men in her village, but to all the men in the area. Rich men, too. So knowing that she could, you know, play into her looks a little bit. This is what she would do. It would likely help Maria in life if she partnered up with a rich suitor. So she would go out in the evening in her best white dress and she would flirt with the men. But she wasn't doing this just for her. She was also doing it for her family because she was a single mother to two young boys. And a male figure and a wealthy one at that would greatly increase her chances of being able to care for her sons and give them the things that she didn't have. But then her sons died. They were found in a river, drowned, and legend goes that Maria drowned them herself. Oh my God. Perhaps drowning them in a moment of hysteria or perhaps with more malicious intent as they were an obstacle in the eyes of future suitors. But there's another version of events, and this is the one that's told, I think, more often from what I found in, in just my searches. Another version of events tells of Maria marrying into money and having two sons with her husband. So she's married. She married rich. And then she has kids with this guy. Hmm. But her husband's attention and money is soon reallocated to other women. He's having these extramarital affairs. They were really frequent. He was very obvious about it. He did not try to hide it from Maria. And she's heartbroken. What can she do? It's the 1500s. And she's got two kids. Is she just supposed to leave this rich man and be left with nothing? No. No. So she's pissed. She's upset. She's heartbroken. I can only imagine the mental toll it took on her. And eventually her husband leaves her, leaves her for good for another woman. And he leaves her in the house with their two kids. And he only returns every few months to visit his two sons. And on one particular occasion, her and her two children, they're walking along the road near their house next to the river, and a carriage pulls up. And in the carriage is her ex-husband coming to visit the kids. And inside is this woman who appeared to be very well taken care of and probably from a very high class herself. She was elegant. She was adorned with expensive clothing and jewelry. And this was the image of what Maria essentially used to be. So she's seeing herself being fully replaced and the elegance of this new woman. And she's pissed. Mm -hmm. And her ex says hello to his kids and very obviously ignores Maria. She's standing right there (gasps) with her kids. And he will not talk to her, will not look at her, will not acknowledge her. And she's right there in the road. He's next to this new woman who's like also engaging with the kids and struck with jealousy and misplaced resentment, Maria led her two children to the river's edge once the carriage pulled away, and she <gasps> shoved them in. No. 
And the current was so strong that the boys immediately began to move quickly downstream. And suddenly, realizing what she'd done, Maria screams and she calls out for her boys in desperation. And she begins to traverse down the river's edge, running and stumbling and, you know, scanning the water for her kids as the current's taking them. But it was too late and her kids were too far down the river. Wait a second. So she did that and then had instant regret? Basically, yeah. It was like deep rage and jealousy. Like, I'm going to get back at my ex and this is the best way to do it. And then once, you know, her kids are screaming out for her, she snaps back to it and is like, holy crap, what did I just do? Jeez. Yeah. So she's calling out for her kids. They're too far down the river. She can't see them anymore. They're out of sight. And so she spends the rest of the day and night searching, going up and down, screaming out for them. And she never found them because they drown. And she was the one who caused it. So tormented with grief, she was never the same. Maria spent her days and her nights dressed in her white gown, scanning the river's edge. And she would walk along the river up and down and up and down every day, waiting to find her boys. And she would cry. She would call out to them. She would scream in agony and pain. And her health was deteriorating. She was not hanging out in the house. She was not resting. She wasn't eating and her gown was becoming torn and weathered from all of the days of her just traversing this embankment and going along the dirt and the plants and the rocks and the water. Did people know that she had killed her children? I mean, I think so because she was kind of like this outcast of town and Mm. people when seeing her spirit knew immediately who it was and why. So the legend goes. Right, right. Yes. So Maria's not eating. She's just spending all day looking for them and all night looking for them. And she's growing thinner and thinner by the day and her dress becoming more tattered and tattered. And so she just is looking really disheveled and a bit scary. So Maria searched. She walked. She refused to eat until she eventually died right along the river on the bank, likely right near where her own two children lost their lives. And so you would hope that her spirit after dying could finally find some peace after such a tragic end to her life. But not long after Maria passed, reports arose in what is now Santa Fe, Mexico, Mm -hmm. of a spirit walking the banks of the Santa Fe River, which is right where this Maria is said to have lived. Hmm. So this new spirit, she appeared at night weeping, floating along the shoreline, and sometimes on top of the water, her tattered white dress flowing beneath her phantom feet. Some say that if you get a good look at her face, you'll notice no features. It's just blank. Oh, so Lady of the Lake. I was just going to say, it makes (laughs) me think so much of Lady of the Lake. I wonder if the writers were inspired by La Llorona. I literally Googled that. I was like, what was Lady of the Lake based off of? And I didn't see anything because I thought it was going to be La Llorona because it's so – everything feels so accurate. Like Aside from the backstory they gave Lady of the Lake, Mm -hmm. which if you don't know what Sabrina and I are talking about, it's a scary, ghostly character in Haunting of Bly Manor, which is available on Netflix. Um, (laughs) Not sponsored. Not sponsored. But that would be cool. Brought up in every episode. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I feel like it must have been, right? Just a look. Yeah. Some inspiration. Something must have come from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too spot on. All right. So with these sightings of this new spirit, Maria, once Maria in life became La Llorona, the weeping woman. And the villagers, their pity for her turned to fear as La Llorona searched for her children, searched 
for any children. And when she found them, she would bring them to the water and repeat the sins of her life, drowning the children once again. I just have so many thoughts because it's interesting that people had sympathy for her when she was the one who drowned her children in the first place. And I feel like she clearly has a temper and it's continued on into this afterlife. And for her to do it again, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. There was a story recently of, and I'm going to butcher the details because I only remember it vaguely, but there was like a man and his family parked at a dock and he like reversed the car into the water Mm. and claimed it was an accident, but both kids died. Yep. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And it's like, that's not an accident. You wouldn't drive your car to that space. Right. I feel like this was definitely in the past couple of years that this happened. Yeah. No, I know. But I feel like it's, you know, part of it's like mental illness. And I feel like too, I mean, this is all a legend. There's no like written documents of Maria actually existing and when she died or anything. But like, if I were to speculate, I'd feel like she was this outcast and probably like the gossip of the area and she killed her kids and people were like... F this woman. But then after watching someone basically deteriorate in every single sense of the word and like die on the river, don't you think part of you would be like, wow, I mean, what she did was horrible, but that woman went through some stuff. Um, It's hard when someone kills children. It's really, really hard to to feel any bit of sympathy. Yes. And I'm usually a very sympathetic person, but I don't know. Maybe I have like prejudice because I know – the basics of the spirit. So I'm mm-hmm. very anti La Yorona. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't know what the norm was back then. Do people just kill their kids? I, I assume hope not. No, but who knows what was going through? And who knows if anyone knew that she had actually killed her kids, right? Right. That's true. It's all legend. It's all legend. And maybe in her life, people just thought that they had drowned in a freak accident because she was the only one that saw it. True. Her ex and the carriage went away. So who knows? Interesting. But anyway, now La Llorona, she searches for kids, calling out to them, usually her own kids. And then when she finds a kid, she brings the child into the water. And if you're picturing a ghostly woman just carrying a child into the water and then placing them in, sort of like haunting of Bly Manor, Mm. you are mistaken. Because La Llorona is said to act violently when she finds a victim. She will grab them. She will drag them as they kick and they scream for help all the way into the water, sometimes picking them up and tossing them in like she did to her own kids. And children who encounter her and live to tell the tale are actually still cursed. So not only are children either going to die at the hands of La Llorona or not, if they're not, they're going to be cursed for it is said that seeing her and not dying is a bad omen in and of itself and that that means someone close to them will soon die. Oh, what's that spirit, the owl? La lechuza. Yeah, isn't that very similar? Yes. If you see that, the, the la lechuza. The listener story that I chose to read <gasps> oh, at the end really? is about, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. we're on the same page. Enough. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and they're both like Mexican, Hispanic folklore, so. Love it. All right, so now some people say La Llorona doesn't actually exist. People are like, no, she's just a boogeyman. Everybody made her up. And it's just a boogeyman story used by mothers to scare their children into behaving. Basically saying like, don't be mean to your parents or La Llorona may find you. Don't play near the water or La Llorona may find you. Don't stay out past dark or La Llorona may find you. All the things that you want your kids to be safe doing, you just blame it on this ghostly woman stalking them to murder them. That would work on me. It's exactly like when we were talking about, who was it? It was like Krampus. Krampus. 
Krampus. <laughs> yes. We're like, why is this the scariest story ever <laughs> to trick kids? Like, is that tricking kids Behave. into behaving or is that just causing trauma? I don't know. <laughs> A little bit of both. A little bit of both. But basically, some people were like, that's what La Llorona is. She's just a boogeyman story to get kids to behave and be safe. Mm, but but. <laughs> there are some encounters that suggest that aside from a cautionary tale, this spirit very much does exist. And I'm going to tell you a few things that have happened to people. And I honestly could have written 30 pages on just the amount of stories and firsthand experiences people have posted on the internet. But I will spare you. Okay. Well, don't spare me. I mean, I mean, it would be great, but it would be amazing. Like, I don't have to do my, I don't have to do any of mine. You can just (laughs) take the whole episode. I'll sit here and listen to you. No, maybe we'll do. I don't know. Netflix, give us a show. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So when filming The Curse of La Llorona, have you seen that movie? I haven't. Oh, you should. It's, It's a good one. It really got me nervous while watching it. So when filming The Curse of La Llorona, actress Patricia Velasquez, who is one of the leads in the movie... I believe she plays the mom who was originally trying to protect her two kids from La Llorona. Mm. But anyway, so she's an actress in it. And she was really excited about the movie because she's from Mexico and she grew up hearing this tale. And so she thought of La Llorona as this boogeyman tale and was excited to basically be a part of this movie and tell part of her own culture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But when filming, there were a lot of strange supernatural occurrences that led many people on set to believe it was haunted. And Patricia said... Quote, I think La Llorona was there, just making <laughs> sure we were doing right by her. Ooh. Also, in Santa Fe, which is where Maria slash La Llorona is said to have lived and – what's the word I'm looking for? Died? Like she was created. Her spirit was birthed. The tale of La Llorona. The origin story. That's what origin. I'm looking for. Origin yes. story. So in Santa Fe, Mexico, there's a ton of sightings. I mean, they're all over the place, but Santa Fe specifically has so many. And one of the sightings is really interesting. It's actually in the Public Employees Retirement Association building, which was oh. built on land that was once an old Spanish native grave site. And I was reading about it. It was written in every single article like, oh, the Public Employees Retirement Association is haunted by La Llorona. And I was reading them and I so was like – So random? I don't know if this actually is La Llorona or if it's just like, I don't know, another spirit from being on a grave site. Mm. But employees in the building will often report seeing a tall, wailing woman and being pushed when they're going down the stairs, which is interesting because she's in a building. But not hmm. super surprising when I tell you – that with La Llorona, while she originates from Santa Fe region, there are sightings of her all over North America. And she's said to follow Hispanic people searching for their children and hoping to find her own. Oh. So at the bottom of this article that I referenced a ton of this stuff from, at the bottom of Kathy Weiser's article posted on legendsofamerica.com, there are encounters submitted by readers and There were quite a few, and I pulled just a couple to tell you now, but you should totally go on the website and read all of them because they were like, I don't know, there had to have been like 10 or 12. Yeah, I want the link. I'll send it to you. It was really good. An anonymous writer said that while they were a student at Kansas State University in the early 90s, they went to go visit a couple of their friends, also Kansas State University students, who together lived in this mobile home that was right down by the creek. So this person, they go inside to hang out with their friends and find their two friends freaking out. And their two friends said that they just seen one of their bar stools move and spin around. Oh, whoa. And these two friends were of Mexican-American descent. And so they began to tell this person 
of La Llorona, who'd never heard it before. Mm-hmm. And they were thinking that La Llorona had followed them and La Llorona was doing this activity. And so that night, nothing else happened. Nothing happened while this other person was visiting their two friends. And so the two friends ended up, it was a late night, and we're like, hey, do you want to just like stay over in our mobile home? And the person was like, yeah, sure, cool. I'll spend the night not thinking anything of it because nothing mm-hmm. else happened. They just had a good night. But then that night, while the friends were asleep, a woman appeared to this student laying next to them in bed. <gasps> no. Oh, she asked if they knew where her children were. And thinking it was a dream, this person just kind of like groggily suddenly wakes up just in time to catch in waking state a figure looking at them and then quickly exiting through the door. So what they thought was a dream turned out to be truly to be real. real. Ugh. And so now, too scared to move, they waited until morning to go ask the two friends who lived there if they'd come into the room in the middle of the night, and neither of them had, and they were all sufficiently freaked out. That's terrifying. All right, so back in Santa Fe now, we're going to a new story, and this is the story of Brandy's mom. Brandy submitted the story on her mom's behalf. Mm-hmm. So Brandy's mom had lived in the same house in Santa Fe for about 50 years. So she grew up in this house eventually took the house over and raised her own family in that house. So when her mom was growing up there, her mom had been, she thought, about 12 years old, and all the cousins came over, and they were sitting in her bedroom hanging out. And this bedroom would be Brandy's bedroom in the future, by the way. Mm. And it's the middle of winter. It had snowed in Santa Fe. And so the cousins are just hanging out, having a good time. And then they hear a really weird noise outside of the bedroom window. So they go and they look out the window and there's a woman dressed in a white gown standing there crying. And they run for their mom slash aunt and tell her what happened. And so Brandy's grandparents, her mom's parents, go outside and they're investigating. And mind you, it had snowed, but there were no footprints in the snow, no track anywhere Nothing near the bedroom window. It was like no one had ever been there, but a whole group of them had seen this woman standing out there crying and like looking into the window at the kids. So flash forward. She's like everywhere. She's everywhere. That's what's so creepy because – and you should watch the movie too because it basically shows this. So she originates from the water and water is definitely like a source of power to her. Mm -hmm. But she can go anywhere which is so scary so maybe you see her more frequently by the water because that's kind of like her home base or what is more comfortable for her but she will be in your condo building she will be anywhere that she needs to be to find the kids once she marks your kids she's coming that's what's interesting because it makes me think that if you don't drown by her but you're cursed by her does it then pass on to your ancestors and your children and their children i don't know i think it's like the hat man Right. I was reading ways. I'm not really sure. I don't necessarily think so because I was looking up ways to protect yourself from La Llorona and it just is so dependent on like specific cultural norms for regions. Mm. But it usually involves a lot of prayer. So there's a lot involved. And basically, it's like warding off an evil spirit. How would you go about doing that? And that is what you should do for La Llorona. Okay. Okay. So flash forward. Brandy is now in the picture. She's alive. She's hanging. She now lives in her mom's childhood bedroom in that house that her mom grew up in. And once again, it's the middle of the winter and it had snowed and Brandy hears a really strange noise out of the window. And she's like, hell no am I looking? I'm a scaredy cat. (laughs) So immediately she just runs out of the room. She goes, grabs her mom, says there's a weird noise outside of the window. And that's when her mom is like, oh my God, it's La Llorona. (laughs) She's back and tells her the story of what happened to her when she was a kid. 
So very creepy. And maybe generational, so as you creepy. just said. Yeah. So perhaps it's, or maybe Lyrona has no sense of time and just went back to find Brandy's mom, who's now an adult. What if it was like the same day, but many years later that she visited Brandy's mom oh, and she's chills. a woman of habit or creature of habit. And like every day she does the same thing, but, or every August 3rd, she does the same thing. But because it's like every year, maybe someone different lives there or different people are there. Yeah. Maybe it's by different regions. Like every day she appears, but it just, she pops up in different places. Ooh. She travels with the current, with the stream. With the stream. Know. But now we're traveling to Mexico to learn the story of 12-year-old Daisy, who submitted it at 12 years old, which I think Aww. is awesome. Love that. Because if you have a ghost story, there's no better age to tell it than immediately as it happens. Yes. So she's telling this a few years after it happened to her. But when she was eight, her grandma asked her and her brother to go buy soda at the store for dinner right down the road. And so her and her brother, they're walking towards the store and they keep hearing this wailing noise. And they're not really paying any attention to it. They're just like, whatever, you know, being kids, kicking rocks yeah. and down to the, the corner store quickly to get home for a dinner. But then a young woman starts walking towards them and they see her. They notice her. Daisy's brother immediately responds like a visceral reaction to seeing this woman. And he gets really nervous and he starts crying. And as he's crying, the woman picks up speed. She's now running towards him. Her eyes are on him. Oh. And she's looking with intent at him. So she looks like she's going to go snatch him. And Daisy and her brother, as they're watching this woman, like, basically sprint towards them, they realize that this woman isn't sprinting. She's floating. And with that what? knowledge, it kicked something alive in them. And their flight just took off. So they ran, they sprinted back to the house, they run in the house, they tell their grandma, they tell their mom what happened, and the adults lock the door, they start praying, saying like, La Llorona, go away, and all of this prayer that they had to basically make sure that these kids would not be snatched by her. She was running full sprint at them. That is oh, terrifying. my gosh. Yeah. And it's not like they had seen her before. It's not like if you turn and look at the wailing and see her or approach the wailing that you'll get taken. Like she wailed. They paid no attention. And she still went after them. Oh, I just got chills. It's really creepy. Mm-mm. I really regret doing this. Why did I do this this week? I don't know. This is the worst. Okay. Lastly, I'll end on a story that <laughs> freaked me out greatly because like I said, I had some weird just little things happening as I was writing this. Every single time I sat down to do research, weird stuff happened. And when I wasn't doing research, nothing happened. So when I was writing other people's encounters, all the ones that you just heard right above, yeah. I heard three odd noises coming from my bathroom. <gasps> oh, no. And I just was like, that's really odd. Like, it's – I live in from a – From the toilet? I don't know if it was the toilet. Where the water comes from? I have no clue what it was, but it was like – it kind of almost sounded like a pipe panging. Oh, my gosh, Corinne. And so oh, I'm getting chills right now. So I was like, that's really weird. And it freaked me out. Like, I got spooked. And normally – I live in an apartment complex – so number one, it's brand new and there's like hardly any noises. There's no house settling noises. And number two, when noises do happen, I know what it is and like where it's coming from. If it's a neighbor, if it's just something. I've never had an unidentified noise in this apartment. And even all day long, nothing else happened. I work from home. I'm here Ugh. constantly. So I heard these three pangs. She's coming for you. Sabrina! I'm sorry. I had to say it. You're thinking it. 
I know. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I should leave. I should go rent a hotel room. <laughs> but she could follow but me. But in Boston, you're going to go to a haunted hotel. That's true. And I'm literally by water always because Boston <gasps> was like literally That's true. You're built. so by water right now Ugh. too. All right. Well, okay. So I heard these three pings and I was really freaked out. And I refused to go in the bathroom for like two hours. <laughs> and I also refused to look in the mirror. Anyway, after hearing those noises, this is the story that I read next. Oh, no. This is Emily Ortiz. So when she was eight years old, her interest in the paranormal became more apparent. And she loved all things spooky. And she was like, I'm going to start researching all the paranormal stuff. Just understand the legends, the lores, the ghost stories. Really liked, you know, getting a little scared and reading mm -hmm. about it. So she's in her home and she's researching La Llorona. And suddenly she hears a noise. And she gets up to check, curious. And she doesn't see anything. So then she walks back to where she was doing her reading. And then she hears it again. And it sounds like it's coming from the bathroom. Oh, my God. Why? Why? Ugh. So she walks in. She looks around. And she sees nothing. She oh, stops no. at the sink. And she listens again. But suddenly, her head is shoved, pushed <gasps> down into the sink. The water is turned on. It's now running. The sink fills all the way up. She can't breathe. She thinks she's going to die. So she gives one last huge scream, screams for her mom, manages to get some sound out. Her mom rushes in, pulls her head out, but not without a little bit of a struggle, like as if there was some resistance there. And then Emily tells her what happens and her mom freezes. Her mom turns ghostly white, is looking like she's about to faint and just stutters the words to her daughter, La Llorona. Holy. So there you You're have it. not safe from her anywhere. No, you are not. But that's it. That's oh. La Llorona. She exists. She uses water as a weapon. And I think she's going to murder me tonight. I know you love modern plumbing and everything, but this is a reason to live in an outdated home that has no modern So you can blame appliances. it. Blame the noises on other things. Mm -hmm. Ugh, this is the worst. I do not like that. I don't like it at all either. And now there's a ton of sirens outside. It's preemptive. They know that. Did La Llorona attack? Oh my gosh. I sure hope not. It almost feels like if we say her name too many times that she'll come. It's like Beelzebub. It totally feels like that. It's so scary to me that she has no boundaries. Right. It's not just like don't go on and water embankments at night. Yeah. There's so much more to it. Remember we read that listener story where she had to go use the outhouse and then there was like a woman calling her from oh. the water's edge and calling for help? Yes. I freaking hate that. And there's so many things that it could be attributed to. Number one, La Llorona. Number two, La Lechuza. And there's also skinwalkers there's also demons just regular demons yeah demons and then i think they're called like non-deer or not deer which is basically some shape shifter entity that mm. takes on the look of a deer but it's like just off enough Weird. there's just so many things that try to call you and lure you out there's no safety in this world no that's what we're Aliens learning do it there's honestly it's a miracle that people live day to day because there's so much that could happen. I think about that sometimes when I'm like walking outside. I'm like an air conditioning unit could just fall down and kill me on the sidewalk right now. Yes, that happens in New York City. It does. Or like I could step on a grate and the grate suddenly just plummets me down, down, 20 down. feet down and I fall onto a metal pole. Break both ankles. Yes. No one ever finds you. You could choke. I choke on my vitamins in the morning. Yeah. There's so much. Actually, I saved a life the other day. What? Yep, my coworker was choking. And when people choke, here's a good PSA or a reminder. When people choke, they make no sound. 
They cannot make sound. Did I already tell you this? Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it, but maybe. Yeah, you can't like make any sound. Yeah, I think I might have talked about this on Encounters already. I'm not sure. But if not, people who joke make no sound. She was making no sound and I saw her eyes watering and she just tapped my shoulder and like turned and I just smacked her back twice really hard and then went to like was getting ready to Heimlicker, but my really hard pounds dislodged the food. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. I know. And I was like, man, good thing I was truly saving her because it's not a really good look for HR to be assaulting <laughs> people in the, the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, well, all we can do is focus on ourselves and true. hope that La Llorona doesn't get us and that we don't choke and die and just focus on the good things. So I chose a woman who many of you have probably heard about. And many of you have probably seen movies made about her, but she is also known to be the most well-traveled ghost in Britain, which is something that I learned for the first time when I was searching female ghosts and like, you know, famous female ghosts. So this is the story of Anne Boleyn, the second of six wives to Henry VIII. And if you know anything about Henry VIII, you probably know that many of his wives we're less than fortunate. And so... Um, is he the one that was infertile but was convinced that all of his wives were the ones not able so, to conceive and so he beheaded them all? Kind of. He was not infertile. He just wasn't producing a male heir. Uh, and that's all he wanted. Okay. But there is a movie, The Other Boleyn Girl, which highly recommend. There was a point in time, I think it came out when I was in high school, or I got the DVD for Christmas during high school or something. And there was a point in time where I watched it weekly. I was so obsessed with it. It's very dark. Okay. So with Amblin's story, there's a lot to tell. So buckle up. I'll tell the history and then I will get into her death and hauntings. But the sad thing about Anne's history is that it was very often written by men and there's virtually nothing left behind of her own voice or perspective. So all of the articles that I read are, you know, descriptions about her relative to King Henry VIII rather than who she was as her own person. Or it was more like she destroyed the religious, you know, symbiotic relationship. And it wasn't, it's more just like destructive narratives than positive oh. narratives, mm. which is upsetting because yeah, anyway, I'll get into it, but <laughs> I'm trying to tell her story as well as possible because she doesn't have the ability to do that anymore. Or maybe she does because she's around very, very around. But there's this like ridiculous description that I found that was written about her by a Catholic propagandist named Nicholas Sanders written in 1586, which was half a century after Anne died. But he wrote this description of her and said, Anne Boleyn was rather tall of stature with black hair and an oval face of sallow complexion, as if troubled with jaundice. It is said she had a projecting tooth under her upper lip and on her right hand, six fingers. Oh. There was a large wen under her chin, and therefore, to hide its ugliness, she wore a high dress covering her throat. Why are they so mean to her? Dot, dot, dot. She was handsome to look at with a pretty mouth. What? <laughs> was that sarcasm at the end, or was that, like, true? I have no idea. It's very it contradictory. Like, I know. It sounds like they just roasted her, and then we're like, and she's beautiful. I know. Which And that, I feel like that description of her is the epitome of like many articles and like stories told about her. They're just so skewed. It's like they said what they wanted, but then ended with like a, okay, well, she's royalty and I don't want to be killed. So I'm going to end it with she's yeah, awesome. But she's also pretty. 
Well, it's interesting too, because then based on the history and her history, she was clearly a pretty lady because she was courted by many men and there were a lot of admirers that she had. So I think people are just mean. And also I'll get into this again later, but she lost a lot of public favor with her relationship with King Henry. So I think there was also Mm -hmm. some distaste in public opinion. That's like a modern day, well, not the distaste, but modern day Harry Styles. Everybody loves him. It doesn't matter who he chooses to date. Everyone will turn on whoever he dates (laughs) because everyone loves him and will not be happy unless he's specifically with them. Yeah. Okay. So Anne Boleyn was born somewhere between 1501 and 1507 in Norfolk. And as with the rest of her story, the records from her birth do not exist, meaning it's near impossible to establish her true date of birth. And so historians have somehow figured out that it's somewhere between 1501 and 1507. She had an older sister named Mary and a younger brother named George. And at the time of her birth, Anne's family was very well respected, and she was regarded as a noble birth, which then meant in that time, in the 1500s, If you're, you know, in nobility or in the higher upper class, women were allowed an education. So Anne studied arithmetic, her family genealogy, grammar, history, reading, spelling and writing and household management, of course, because she was a woman. And she was traveling with her father all over the place. Thomas Boleyn was her dad, who was a diplomat under Henry VIII, and he was quite beloved. And he would travel with Anne and his children and many people started to admire Anne because she was this like very unique, eccentric child. Like she was polite, but also was very smart and witty. And like we could make like very quick witty jokes to people. And so people really just adored her and thought she was charming. Can I just tell you really quick that I just looked up because so many artists have done like modern day Mm -hmm. renditions of what someone would look like based on the painting. And she looks so much, or the depiction of her, if she were alive today, looks so much like Troyan Belisario. She's beautiful. Who's Troyan? Is she from Pretty Little Liars? Yeah, she's Pretty Little Liars. Oh, interesting. She does. Doesn't she? She would Mm -hmm. be in Pretty Little Liars. She would have been cast in Pretty Little Liars. (laughs) She'd be an actress. She'd probably be good in that show. But yeah, she was so adored that Margaret of Austria, who was ruling the Netherlands, offered Anne a place in her household, which was a great honor because usually women who started working in households were 12 years or older. And if Anne was born in 1507, she would have been just six years old at this time, which is kind of crazy to me. Like I could hardly get my outdoors badge in Girl Scouts when I was six years old. (laughs) So like imagine being a full-time employee and working for a lady, a, a ruler, no. like that's... I don't think I was allowed to use a hot glue gun in Girl Scouts no. at six years old. <laughs> Couldn't do anything. Yeah. In the spring of 1513, Anne was then arranged to attend to Henry VIII's sister, Mary, and be like the lady to Mary. And then Anne became maid of honor to Queen Mary of France and then to Queen Claude. And it was in France that Anne became fascinated with contemporary thought. And during the 1500s, that was mostly centered around religious reform. And she started becoming her own person, a woman with thoughts, which was a very contrary thing in the 1500s and very dangerous because women were, you know, taught to be the managers of houses and to attend to their husbands and be looking for a husband if they were not yet married. So Mm -hmm. she was a revolutionary woman. She was like, I am my own person. 
she was traveling the world and given these exciting adventures from her family. And she was like, I'm going to learn and have my own thoughts. And people regarded her as sweet and cheerful. She was apparently a flirt, enjoyed gambling, gossiping, and cracking jokes. But she also had a sharp tongue and a terrible temper. And then in 1522, Anne's family fell into this family estate battle. Basically, someone died and the inheritance like was all weird and someone contested it. And it was like family drama and they split up the family. Mm -hmm. And the answer or the solution was... Let's have Anne marry her cousin, James Butler, and then there will be no rift between the family. They wanted her to marry her cousin. Did anyone not marry their cousin? I feel like everybody did. Yes, everyone did. Raise your hand if you didn't marry your cousin back then. I'd like to see a show of hands. (laughs) Show of hands. Raise your hands, ghosts. (laughs) Or if you didn't marry like your brother's wife or your sister's like ex-husband. I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of crossover. Especially because everyone wanted, like, royal blood. So you had right. to, like, you know, marry. Or, like, even, like, your uncle. Like, I feel like, mm, yeah, there was. There was a lot of gross stuff, yeah. There was a lot of gross stuff. But then Henry VIII got involved because Henry was afraid that this dispute between this family, because I think part of the family was England and part of them were in Ireland. So he was nervous that it would cause civil war in Ireland. So he basically arranged a compromise. And then because there was no more rift, Anne was no longer to marry her cousin, which was great for Anne. Hooray. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe if she married her cousin, things would have gone very differently for her. So I don't know. At the same time, this family, let me just tell you, there's a lot of drama and it's all like happening all at the same time. So at the same time that Anne was supposed to marry her cousin, Mary was apparently having an affair with the king of France. And word gets back to her family, the Boleyn family, and everyone's like, no, 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 we can't deal with this. You're coming back home. So Mary comes back home and then becomes the mistress to Henry VIII. She starts out as a mistress? She becomes like, she basically has an affair with Henry VIII. Wow. And Henry VIII has many mistresses, as told by history. But so Mary comes home from having an affair with the king of France. The Boleyn family sets Mary up with someone else. She gets married. But then I believe like starts working in the court of the king and the queen. And then meets Henry VIII that way. And then starts having an affair with Henry VIII. And there are some rumors that one or even both of Mary's children were actually Henry VIII's. And around this time, Anne is debuted to society and she's like presented to the court and, you know, all of like the royals and the nobles and everything. Mm-hmm. And men are like, oh, Anne, that crooked tooth that's poking out of your mouth is beautiful. <laughs> and I want to marry you. So You're all not these- like all the other girls. <laughs> <laughs> so all these men start courting her and buying for her attention. And she falls in love with this man named Henry Percy. And the two of them try to get married, but Percy's father refuses it because apparently something that's common in nobility is your promise to someone at a young age. So when Henry was really young, he was promised to another woman. And so Henry's father was like, you absolutely cannot marry Anne Boleyn. So poor heartbroken Anne returns to the court and then starts working as a lady for Catherine of Aragon, who is the first wife and current at the time wife of Henry VIII. And while she's at court, there's a lot of turmoil happening between King Henry VIII and Catherine because Catherine was, I think, 18 or 20 when Henry first married her, but they had been married for 18 years and she's had a lot of miscarriages or she has like a daughter, but it's a daughter and all Henry wants is a male heir. 
and now Catherine's in her forties and can no longer have children. So he's, you know, frustrated and he wants to find a way to have that male heir that he wants. And then this adorable young woman, Anne Boleyn, comes into court. She speaks French. She has quick, witty remarks. She tells these like crazy, lavish stories. She plays games in court and she beats people and it's fun. And Henry starts vying for her. He's like, who is this young woman? And keep in mind, Henry is having an affair with Anne's sister, Mary. Oh, Yeah, so it is drama. That is some real drama. Yeah, but Henry is the king, and he wants what he wants. So he starts making advances on Anne, but Anne, who's this, like, self-respecting woman, refuses him, and she's like, I don't want to be your mistress like my sister has been. But Henry keeps persisting, and eventually, Anne smartly goes, you know what, I will yield to your embraces if I'm your queen. She's like, I will not be a mistress to you. I will only be your queen. Good for her. It's transactional. Yeah. She's like, I'm worth more than that. I'm going to be your queen or I'm nothing at all. I love it. She got herself promoted. Well, it took some time. So the only way that would be possible for Anne to become his queen were if Henry annulled his marriage to Catherine. Which was not like a foreign thing at this time. I think it had happened before the Pope had granted annulments, but it was really rare. And the only way you can get an annulment was if the wife or husband, I feel like mostly wife, did something that was against the Bible's teachings. So Henry starts searching for all of these ways to get Catherine in trouble and to annul their marriage. But Catherine is very beloved and she actually has connections to the Pope and to the religious sector of England. And so the Pope is like, I'm not going to grant this annulment. Catherine hasn't done anything wrong. And King Henry is so deeply infatuated by Anne that he's like writing her these love letters. She still is refusing to have sex with him. He just like so deeply wants her and desires her. A lot of these love letters are in archives in England, which I'm like, ooh, that's so cool. Apparently he like really wanted her. I want to read them. I want to know what old love letters were like. I love old love letters. Yeah. People really poured their hearts out. So Henry expresses to Anne that he wants her to be his queen, but he's trying to work on it. So Anne starts taking on these roles of queen. She's, you know, involved in policy and state and basically queen in many regards, aside from sharing Henry's bed. And Henry was so in love with Anne, or some people debate and say he was more just desperate for a male heir, that Mm -hmm. he began to seek this annulment. He kicks Catherine out of her quarters and gives them to Anne. Like, he kicks the queen out of her bedroom, out of her home, and gives them to his not-yet-mistress, not-yet-queen woman he's desiring after. Nope. That is when you go to all of the servants and the maids who you've made great connections with, You have them go to the little garden of poisonous tea plants (laughs) that you've been keeping secretly, and you kill him! Have you watched The Great? No. Oh, it's so good on Hulu. The Great? The Great. It's about Catherine the Great, and it, like, takes place in Russia. It's based on, like, the true story, but it's a very comedy-forward show. I love it. So good. Maybe that will be my come down Oh, you should. It's so good. Yes. (laughs) But so basically, Catherine isn't poisoning Henry, but she does have public favor. People love her. 
And the public start becoming outraged and they're remaining loyal to Catherine. The Pope refuses to approve the annulment, but Henry goes to the King of France and gets his approval and they get married nonetheless, creating a very public rift between the church and state because Henry just like outright didn't listen to the church. And then in 1534, Pope Clement publicly condemns the marriage between Henry and Anne and announced a provisional excommunication of Henry from the church. And Henry doubles down and requires all of his subjects to swear an oath to him that effectively rejected the church in all legal matters and recognized Anne as queen. So it's just this like battle between church and state. Wow. And the people who refused this oath that he was demanding were sent to the Tower of London and basically imprisoned. And Anne... Right now, everything's great for Anne because she's like, I'm now queen. I have these beautiful quarters. And now there is a rift between church and state. And in France, she developed this like belief in a different religion. She's evangelical. And she's like, well, I'm going to start pushing my and promoting my religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And it's causing tremendous rifts. But she's doing what she wanted. She's using the spotlight to forward her own interests and is deeply benefiting from it. King Henry granted her like one of the highest honors that's possible. And her family was given a lot of money and Ugh, I just she really like was queen. Me too. Like she was so motivated and she knew this man, you know, she knew that if she just gave in and became his mistress, she would just be thrown to the side like her sister was. And she was like, no, I want more for myself. She's an inspiration. Take that power back, girl. Take it back. In times like that, you had to do what you got to do. Yeah. And I will say, like, this is the thing that bummed me out is like, there wasn't a ton about what she was doing. But from what I was reading, she was trying to do good. And she was trying to allocate extra revenues to charitable and educational institutions. But like, those were very rarely approved because there were all these people who were just greedy and selfish and wanted the money back for them and royalty and like, mm. let's buy another manor down in Essex. Did that exist back then? I don't know. Yes. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. But I know that that's the scenario. That yeah. like, <laughs> I just hope as much as I'm like, yes, girl, yes, I also feel really bad for the original queen. Oh, yeah. Yes. She was tossed aside. Tossed aside. I hope that the version of being tossed aside was like, hey, go live in one of the 17 mansions we have and I'll just never go there. Yeah, again. I don't know. I don't remember. Or I didn't read that. So then Anne gets pregnant, which is exactly what Henry wanted, except for she gives birth to a little girl on September 7th, 1533. So again, not the male heir that King Henry wanted. And Anne names the girl Elizabeth. And then slowly the things that Henry once admired in Anne became unacceptable in a wife. And things go further downhill when Anne had a miscarriage and public opinion is even further against her. Everyone is blaming Anne for Henry's tyranny and she becomes pregnant once more. So she's like, I still have hope. I think she starts to feel like he's going to get rid of her, but mm. if she can produce the male heir, he won't. So she becomes pregnant, and then Catherine of Aragon, his first wife, dies, and Anne and Henry are, like, ready to celebrate, but the celebrations were premature because not long after, Anne suffers another terrible miscarriage, and they determine that the child would have been a boy. And with this miscarriage, Henry turns on Anne and begins to declare that Anne had seduced him into marriage with deception and spells. And just as Catherine had been kicked out of her quarters for Anne, Anne was then kicked out of her quarters 
for Henry's new mistress, Jane Seymour. So now, similar to what he did with Catherine, he's now trying to find ways out of his marriage to Anne, and he's trying to charge people of adultery, incest, and treason. They accuse men of being Anne's lover, many of which confessed to being her lover after days of being tortured. And then Henry VIII even arrested Anne's brother, George, and accused him of incest and treason. On May 2nd, 1536, Anne Boleyn was arrested and taken to the Tower of London, where she was just completely blindsided. She had no idea that it was coming. She didn't know that Henry was, like, building a case against her because with Catherine, it was really just, like, getting annulment, you know? Mm -hmm. But with Anne, now he's taking this, like, very aggressive route of let's imprison her. Okay, this is a really dark, dark thought that I had, Mm -hmm. but I feel like baby snatching was easier back then. (laughs) So I wonder if it ever crossed her mind, assuming that he wasn't in the room when the child was being Mm. born and he was just out of the room and someone would go over and be like, King, it's a daughter. Yeah. Wouldn't, couldn't, could you do a little switch? I mean, I'm sure she would have tried if she could, you know? Yeah, and then also knowing how much she tried to help other people, I'm sure she would be absolutely tormented by the idea of swapping her blood yeah. for someone else's mm-hmm. child. Yeah, so she's like now imprisoned in Tower of London, and she's trying to reach out to Henry. Henry never speaks to her again. He never explains his reasoning or anything. I mean, I think she saw something coming, but she didn't know it would be this extreme. Didn't you cover the Tower of London? No, I keep wanting to. It's just like a, it's a heavy, there's so much. Yeah. I'll do it eventually. So Anne and her brother George are separately tried in the Tower of London before a jury of 27 peers, and Anne was found guilty. And you know what's so sad? That the man that she was once tried to be engaged to, Henry Percy, the one that Mm -hmm. the father said no, he was part of that jury that found her guilty. (gasps) And the jury unanimously found her guilty. Oh, no. Oh, the heartbreak. That's the true heartbreak right there. Mm-hmm. Because that's someone that was an emotional love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And due to the conviction and these charges, Anne's marriage to Henry VIII was pronounced null and void. So he could now marry Jane Seymour and do whatever he'd like. George Boleyn, Anne's brother was executed on May 17th, 1536. And then Henry, he still is like not explained anything to Anne, but he changes her sentence from a burning to death to a beheading. And instead of having a queen beheaded with the common axe, Henry brings in an expert swordsman from France to perform the execution. I mean, I feel like that's an amazing alternative to being burned alive. Mm-hmm. To have an expert sword wheeler end it in second. Yep. So on the morning of Friday, May 19th, Anne Boleyn was brought to a newly erected scaffolding within the London Towers precinct. And she wore a red petticoat under a loose dark gray gown with trimmed fur and a mantle of ermine. And she had two female attendants. And Anne made her final walk from the queen's house to the scaffold and showed a devilish spirit. Apparently, she was, like, smiling and happy and, like, looking out at the crowd and kept her head held high. And she made a short speech to the crowd. She said, Good Christian people, I come hither to die, for according to the law and by the law I am judged to die, and therefore I will speak nothing against it. I am come hither to accuse no man, nor to speak anything of that, 
whereof I am accused and condemned to die. But I pray God save the king and send him long reign over you, for a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never. And to me, he was ever a good, a gentle, and sovereign lord. And if any person will meddle of my cause, I require them to judge the best. And thus I take my leave of the world and of all of you, and I heartily desire you all to pray for me. O Lord, have mercy on me. To God I condemn my soul. She then lifted off her headdress, tucked her hair into her dress, and after a brief farewell to her weeping ladies, she kneeled down, and one of her ladies tied a blindfold over her eyes, and she knelt upright, and the execution consisted of a single stroke. I just, I can't even imagine the fear that has to be running through your mind. How do you maintain composure and be yeah, so brave she was so in poised. I have no idea. I feel idea. like my body would react. I have no idea. It's so devastating. Wow. And like the fact that her brother was also killed and executed for something that he didn't do and just like, yeah, it's so devastating. She was then buried in an unmarked grave in the chapel of St. Peter at Vincula. And King Henry went on to have a male heir with Jane Seymour. Jane then died of natural causes, but then Henry married three more times. One of the marriages he annulled, and then Catherine Howard, his fifth of six wives, was also beheaded. Anne's skeleton was actually identified during renovations of that chapel in 1876 during the reign of Queen Victoria. And Anne's body was moved. Apparently, it's like a secret where she was moved to, but people have theories and her grave is now identified in the marble floor of St. Peter. But Anne's spirit is still very much present, and there are at least seven places that I found in my research that Anne's spirit is said to walk. The first is her childhood home, Hever Castle, and it is said, and this is so sad to me, it is said that Anne's ghost appears each Christmas at her childhood home, and she is said to manifest beneath a great oak tree where Anne and Henry had first courted. Her ghost also walks across the bridge, which crosses over to River Eden on the castle grounds. Like the fact that she goes home every Christmas. I know. It's so heartbreaking. And then she's also known to haunt Bickling Hall, which is the home she was born in. And this is wild. According to lore, she returns every year on May 19th, the anniversary of her execution, and she returns as a headless ghost. (laughs) It is said that as night falls, Anne Boleyn's ghost will ride up to the house in a coach drawn by a headless horseman with her own head in her lap. The moment the coach arrives in front of the house, it will vanish into thin air. There is also legend that says when news of Anne's death reached Blickling Hall in 1536, four headless horses were seen dragging the body of a headless man across Norfolk. And then she's also very commonly seen in the Tower of London, which makes sense given her horrific ending, and that's where she was executed. One of the more famous sightings at the Tower of London was back in 1864 by a military man named General Dundas, who saw a ghostly white figure moving towards him. And he realized after the fact that their feet were not touching the floor. And the guard thought she was real at first. And first he like is calling to her like, who are you? What do you want? What are you doing here? And she's not responding. She's just moving slowly toward him with like a blank stare. And so he charges at her with his bayonet in an effort to ward her off, but to no avail because he charges straight through this person. And then he's like turning around, freaking out, realizing This person is nowhere to be seen, and he has this realization that he just saw a ghost, and he ran through her, 
and he promptly fainted. <laughs> when he came to, he like tried to put together everything. He realized that this woman was floating inches above the ground. And then he realized it was Anne Boleyn and she was dressed in the same outfit that she had died in and had been executed in. And he recognized her from, you know, portraits and everything. Like she was a very well-known person. And I really hope that she disappeared in that moment, but was actually still around just like to witness this man faint. (laughs) So he faints and the military court martial wanted to charge the guard with fainting on duty and abandoning his post. But then another man, another general testified at his trial and was like, no, he saw the ghost of Anne Boleyn and she has been seen by many. So like at trial, they talked very openly about ghosts and was like, no, he was doing his job. He was just frightened by a ghost. And ghosts were used as evidence. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I like to call in evidence number 3413, Anne Boleyn's ghost. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was there. (laughs) Another story at the Tower of London relates to a sighting at the Chapel Royal. Apparently, there was a light flickering inside late one night, and the captain of the guard was trying to find the source of it, so he climbs a ladder to go see inside, and he was met with quite the sight. He sees a procession of ladies and knights in centuries-old dress parading throughout the chapel, And at the very forefront of this procession of ladies and knights was one and only Anne Boleyn. And he recognized her clear as day. The second he saw her, he was like, that's Anne Boleyn. Wow. There's also many hauntings of Anne Boleyn at Windsor Castle, which is the largest and oldest occupied castle in the world. Anne Boleyn has been seen standing at the window in the Dean's Cloister at Windsor Castle And there's another story that claims Anne Boleyn has been seen running down a corridor, screaming while clutching her head in her arm. (laughs) She's such an interesting spirit because she's scaring people off with holding her head, being headless, screaming, doing all of these things. Then she's also like still being a leader and leading the pack in other situations Mm -hmm. and then just randomly floating around. Is this planned? Does she just do what she feels when she wakes up? I don't know. I don't know. It is interesting because there haven't really been any real interactions with her. Like she's just been there or does something and there's no communication. But she's also been seen at Hampton Court and she's often headless in these manifestations. And back in 2009, there was security footage from Hampton Court Palace that caught a woman in 1500s attire and she like peers out and opens this door And then turns and like the door is closed behind her. I'm texting it to you right now. It is so clear to me. Okay. Okay. Let me me watch. YouTube. Pulling it up. Hmm. It's like 15 seconds. And it it takes you a second to like acclimate yourself to what it is. Oh. mm -hmm. Oh. Oh my goodness. (laughs) She just like peers out and then turns back around. (gasps) Oh, I hope. Full body chills. <laughs> this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. I just, oh God. I just wish we had really distinct fashion for like a whole like era. I feel like in a hundred years, people are going to be like, I don't know if that person's from the early 2000s or if they were from 2020 for like mm-hmm. the three weeks that, that was back in fashion. Or like we don't have these really obvious we don't. Items. We really don't. Let's bring it back. Let's start wearing. Let's do something outrageous. 1500s corsets and attire again. 
and then confuse everybody who's seeing our spirits mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. But we'll like wear, I don't know, something modern with it. Like, But they're all tie-dyed. <laughs> yeah. Or like it's like a top, but you're wearing jeans underneath. Oh, man. Two girls, one fashion. One fashion. Okay. I'll wrap it up real quick. But so she's also seen haunting the Sale Church in Norfolk, which is where it's rumored her body was moved and secretly buried near the tombs of her family members. And then she haunts the residents of the Seymours or of Jane Seymour, where she lived between 1530 and 1638, because apparently while Anne awaited her execution at the Tower of London, Henry and Jane Seymour were off enjoying this romantic trip at Marwell Hall, which is where Jane Seymour was from. And today Anne's spirit is said to wander the gardens and halls where her husband betrayed her. And there are so many tourists who have visited these locations and have stories of their own. It's very clear that Anne is still here with us, watching over England, watching over all these, you know, places that are important to her and in mm-hmm. her life. What a cool woman. She I know. is so accomplished. And I just, maybe it's just my lack of knowledge of what was accessible to women during that time but it just seems like she was really a trailblazer that's how i feel i mean yeah i'm sure there's probably so much more research that i could have done to find out more about her but yeah i mean if she feels like to me it feels like she has a bad reputation but she actually went you know she was like a modern woman before her time and she just had her own thoughts, her own voice, and was like, I deserve as much respect as the men in this society. Here's a thought. Here's a question. And I feel like it might make some people mad. I'm not discrediting people who are progressive and forward thinking. However, in discussing reincarnation and traveling souls and the idea that maybe when you are reincarnated, you're not actually reincarnated in a chronological timeline. Maybe you are somewhere different. What if her soul was calling upon the things that she learned centuries later in a future life and just unknowingly tried to weave that into her society back then? Oh, or what if the reason that no one knows when she was born is because she's a time traveler? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Have you watched have you watched Outlander? No. Oh, my gosh. Everyone, if you've seen Outlander, I need to talk to someone about it because no one in my life has seen it. But okay, I'm going to watch it alone. I'm going to start it alone. It's so good. And it's very similar to the idea of this. It's like this woman from the 1700s. No, sorry. From like the 1900s. I think it's like after World War II. Mm, I could be messing it up. Yeah. Is this the one where people are like pretty sexy? Oh, there's a lot of sex. Anyway, she, like, goes to Ireland and touches the stone and travels back in time to, like, the 1600s. Is it the Blarney Stone? The Yeah, I think so. That's the time travel stone. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, I will watch Outlander. The reason I haven't yet is just because normally when I watch TV, I watch it with Brian, too, and we're mm. crushing through the newsroom right now. Oh, that's good. Which is I, so good. I, I I'm going to do that. Outlander on my own. I'm not going to. It's so good. <laughs> There's five seasons. There's four of them on Netflix. Or maybe there's six seasons. I've watched all of them regardless. The most of them are on Netflix. Okay. But then like the most recent season, I had to like subscribe to Showtime <laughs> to watch. And I did it. I was like, I need to finish. And there's a new season coming that out. That might have been, I think my parents might have watched it. Or they watched something where recently they were like desperate to watch the final season. So they bought it. Okay. Well, then I'm going to call your parents and have a long conversation about Outlander. Yeah. Next episode, it's not going to be me. I'm going to sub in Devin Bill. <laughs> That would be fun. 
Well, I already gave a clue, but this is about La Lechuza. But this email was sent to us from our listener, Jess. It's called, The Lechuza is Real. Hey, ladies. Okay, so I heard your stories about the Mexican folktales of La Llorona and La Lechuza. This is a very long story, so I understand if you guys don't read it all, but I hope you do. And guess what we are? I very firmly believe that the Lechuza story is so much more real than just your Hispanic mom threatening you that she's going to come and take you if you didn't listen to anything type of story. So this story has only been told once. This was told to my husband, but only because I still have very vivid nightmares to this day. And it has stayed between me and my parents and now him. Uh, And now us. I feel so honored. Mm -hmm. So to backdate the story, growing up, I lived with my father up until I turned 10. I moved in with my mom and my stepdad and my little brother. After that, my real dad disappeared and I hadn't heard from him ever since. So growing up, you could say I was a little bit of a troubled teen. Me and my parents didn't get along. So there were always arguments, not only between my parents and I, but also between my parents. And there was always negativity throughout our house. I was about 13 years old when the real trouble started. It was a Friday afternoon and my mom had picked me up from school like every normal weekday. We drove up our driveway and my mom had asked me to help her unload groceries that she had gotten earlier. We made one trip inside, came back out to retrieve the rest of the groceries. I walked out to a very old lady dressed in all black. It was August and in Texas. What stood out to me most were her hands. Her face was that of a 30-year-old woman, but her hands were of a 100-year-old woman. At first, all she did was stare at me, and I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. My mom walked out and asked her what she needed, and she didn't answer, but the whole time she would not take her eyes off of me. Mm -mm. Both me and my mom walked closer to her to go grab the rest of our bags out of the car, and that's when she finally started answering my mom's questions. She told my mom that her daughter was lost and that someone took her. She asked my mom if she had seen her daughter, and my mom answered no know that she hadn't, but she would keep a lookout and call the police if she did. The lady thanked her and then turned her attention back to me and got closer. She ran her fingers through my hair (gasps) and across my face and told my mom that she should keep a close eye on me because you never know what could happen. Oh. My mom dropped the bag. She grabs my arm. She pulls me away from this lady and told the lady to stay away and that she would call the police if she ever saw this woman near here again. The lady gave us the most evil little smirk, turned around, and started to walk towards the road. Our house is literally right in the middle, so when you go left or right, it takes you a little while before you turn and could disappear out of sight. But it took her seconds. We turned around to close the car doors, and then turned back around to see her completely gone, out of sight. I immediately did not feel good. I felt sick and I felt really sleepy. About 10 minutes inside, I told my mom I was going to go to sleep because I didn't feel very good. And she said, okay. And that's all I remember. The next part of the story is what my parents told me. Apparently, my mom had gone in to check on me about an hour after I told her I was going to go to sleep. She said that I was in such a deep sleep that she had to check my pulse to make sure I was breathing. It was already nighttime, so my mom had gone out to the front porch to sweep off all of the acorns and dirt that had accumulated. She really liked doing yard work, so she would go outside a lot. My stepdad was in the backyard in his garage fixing a car for a cousin of ours. My stepdad says that he thought he heard my mom calling for him from outside of the garage near the house, so he turned down his stereo to listen if she called him again. This time, he heard a woman laughing. He thought nothing of it. One, it could have been our neighbors, or two, maybe my mother. 
So he walked out of the garage and he said he heard a big flap of wings up in the tree near my bedroom window. It wasn't like a normal bird. He said this thing sounded huge. So he ran to grab his flashlight from the garage and flashed the light in the trees. And as soon as he did, he heard the flapping of the wings on the roof of the house and then back to the tree. Finally, he said he flashed the light on the branch that was closest to my window. He states that what he saw was the feet and body of an owl. But once the light shown on the owl's face it was a face of a woman <gasps> he said he ran to the front of the house looking for my mom he was trying to explain to her what was going on but my mom wasn't understanding what he was trying to say finally my dad was able to catch his breath told my mom what he saw and my mom said she got chills because the first thing that popped into her head was the lady in black no and so things get creepy she ran As if they weren't already creepy i know <laughs> She ran inside to check on me and my little brother, and she said at first she could not open my door, and she thought that maybe I had woken up and had earphones in and had locked the door. So she grabbed the spare key, and she opened the door to find me standing in front of the window that faced the tree that my stepdad had seen the bird. She said that I was stiff as a board and cold as ice. She could not move me, nor could she wake me. Also, the window I was standing in front of had been sealed shut, so there was no way I could have opened it by myself, but it was wide open. Both my stepdad and my mom stood still because they started to hear the laughing again and the Mm -mm. flapping of the wings. Mm -mm. My mom told my stepdad to stay with me and ran to the next door neighbor, who was my stepdad's grandma, and told her what was going on. She immediately grabbed her broom and holy water and came over with my mom. My grandmother told my parents to stay in the house, but not to wake me, but only to pray and to keep praying until she came back inside with them. My grandmother went to the backyard, threw the holy water up onto the tree and right in front of the window. She then began to sweep around my window, cursing at the bird to go away. Apparently, that's what you're supposed to do. I was wondering. curse the bird away. (laughs) I was wondering what the broom was for, the way that she wrote. My grandma grabbed her broom. Like, and I imagine she flew over on the broom like yeah. a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she did. We don't know. <laughs> Missed detail. During this whole ordeal, I was dreaming. And in my dream, the lady in black was talking to me. <gasps> Everything around me was pitch black. But the lady was in the distance talking to me and telling me to leave with her. And that I no. belonged to her. And that Mm-mm. she would kill my parents if I didn't go with her. <clears throat> I woke up the next day to my grandparents, aunts, and uncles over for a rosary. Although my parents didn't give a reason to have a rosary, they came and did it anyway. My parents also placed a sticker of an angel on my window that's still there to this day. And my parents sat me down. They explained everything to me about what happened. And chills ran through my spine because I had no idea what was going on. And the dream wasn't just a dream, but a warning. Once I told my mom the dream, she started to cry. And she said we needed to fix our relationship and to release the anger and the negativity because this was a sign of a bad omen. And to this day, we don't ever talk about what happened, but I still have nightmares reliving this whole ordeal. Keep up the good work, ladies. I love the podcast. It gets me through my work day. See you on the other side. Jess. Wow. This is terrifying. Isn't it? Like the whole, the fact that it didn't stop at the woman in the driveway and it just continued into the night that she was in the tree and then in her dreams. I know. Her being in the dreams, it just so reminds me of Insidious. Remember when the man is like, goes to rescue his son Mm -hmm. and he's face to face with that woman in the black dress with the black veil and she's like in the blank black vastness. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like 
what it is here. And I wonder if the distance in her dream between her and the woman was appropriate and accurate distance between her in her bedroom and the woman in the tree. Oh, 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 no. Because why else does she need to be so up close, right? Couldn't she be in the tree line, safe away from being seen by the parents? Or did she need to be physically close and put herself at risk a little bit? I can't. This is terrifying. It really, truly is. We Did we do an episode on Lala Chusa? Because I feel like... Yeah, so I thought so too. And I'm pretty sure we did animals. And I think I chose owls. Mm. But I'm pretty sure I covered specifically... I'll have to go back and re-listen. Because I feel like now this entity is a little like foreign to me. And I just don't okay. understand it. Yeah, it was episode 22 called The Astral Vault. And we covered bad omens. Oh... I did owls and you did broken clocks. Mm. Look at us go. I want to listen to that episode again too, but I need to take a really long break from stories like this. This Watch the the great. I'm telling you, watch the great and watch Outlander and you'll feel great. I need to watch something exceptionally fluffy tonight. The great. Watch the great. It is so good. Okay. It's like full on like a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Because I was about ready to start Love Island. (laughs) Oh, my Love Island is also really good. Don't watch. Actually, the US season right now is really good. Don't watch the current UK season. It's kind of boring. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, I haven't seen any of them, so I'm coming from nothing, but I'm going to do Okay. Then start with season three of UK. Okay. But it's a dangerous road to go down. Maybe I won't start. This is going to be like me and Tara's house when I suddenly was so sucked into a Japanese reality show. Oh my gosh, I don't even know what that is. Oh, it's so good. I have a story from our listener, and it's called Bloody Mary and the Mirror Room. I was listening to one of the newer episodes, and one story was about Bloody Mary. It reminded me of what happened to me when I was younger. When I was maybe eight or nine or something, I was left home alone. I think I was sick. And all of my siblings and parents left me. It was late at night, not nearly 12 a.m., maybe 9 o'clock, and I decided to play Bloody Mary. I don't remember why I did it. Maybe I was dared by someone, but I did it. I went into the kids' bathroom, which was in the middle of the house, and I stood up on the step stool so I could look into the mirror. I did the chant, and at first nothing happened. So I tried again, and that's when the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. In the mirror, I saw a woman behind me. Her hair was red, her skin pale, her clothes were bloody. Then a hand grabbed me and pulled me into the mirror. Inside the mirror, there was a room. The walls looked like they were made of smoke, and I was standing next to an old 16th or 17th century well. As I looked around, I could see an opening that had one of those exit signs from grocery stores, and I ran to it as fast as I could, and then I woke up in the bathroom. As soon as I felt I had enough strength, I ran out of the bathroom. I remember telling one of my school friends about this, and she was really into ghosts and stuff, and she told me that there were three doors, and if I had not chosen the right one, I could have died. I don't know how this happened or if it was a dream, but I did definitely wake up in the bathroom, and I remember saying the Bloody Mary chant in front of the mirror, but I really haven't been the same since. And now I'm trying to get in touch with my spirit powers, if that's what you call it, and I love listening to your podcast. Wow. Okay, well, after reading the encounters just before this, it makes me think that perhaps it could have been a dream, but the dream is like the astral visitation. Like the dream is still you choosing your fate. Either you wake up or you don't because your soul is what it's after. It's not after your physical body. So your soul is currently choosing between the three doors. 
we've talked about how mirrors are portals and she was doing Bloody Mary staring into the mirror and all of a sudden, like if it was a dream, that means something terrible happened to her and she passed out in the bathroom. But she sees this woman, a like bloody woman, and she reaches out and pulls her into the mirror. Oh, God. It's so... It's just so disturbing. And then to wake up like in a well, to like, are we in the room next, now? Next to a well. Just, just all of it. Mm-hmm. It's the most horrifying thing ever. Okay. If it's like 16th or 17th century, I guess that kind of makes sense for the origin story of Bloody yeah. Mary. So scary. Also, to do it alone. I know. Well, apparently you're supposed to do it alone. I know, but most people don't. Most people are like in a group with their friends doing it together. I know. Who is brave enough to do it alone? Not me. Apparently our listener. I wish this wasn't real, and I wish that all Bloody Mary stories were actually just Bloody Joey. Remember? <laughs> I miss Remember Bloody him? Joey. Oh, <laughs> how could I forget Bloody Joey? It's so interesting because when I first saw the topic choice of female ghosts, I was like, Bloody Mary, but obviously I've already done it. But so I wanted to include her in some way. So I got so into reading all the listener stories of Bloody Mary. So stay tuned for the next encounters because I have quite a few more Bloody Mary stories. <laughs> Great. Just when I say I need a break from all this female <laughs> horrifying spirits you can never get a break from it we do a podcast about them i know true a one week break a one week break yeah i don't know if this is going to be as traumatizing for everybody else but this was a traumatizing episode for me (laughs) well they're kind of my favorite they are the scary ones are always choice i don't sleep for a few days but in the end it's so fun to recount mm-hmm. these tales and tell other people, tell your coworkers, tell people that you're camping with, bachelorette yeah. parties. Just so, spook everybody. And spook us by sending us your ghost stories, your supernatural encounters. Email everything to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. You can also support us in a variety of ways. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can tell everybody about us. You can subscribe. You can buy merch. You can follow us on social media. We have a Facebook group. We have Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We post mostly on Instagram and Facebook group is quite active. Mm -hmm. So that's there for you. Yeah. And thank you so much to Aiden Manning, our editor from Upfire Digital. We are so grateful for you. Thank you for making our podcast sound so much better and digestible. And we will... See you on the other side. Very smooth.